You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Good to see you today, Luke chapter 1. And I was thinking uh, different songs we sang today, but especially that last special, appreciate Brother Nick and Miss Becca sharing out the overflow of what God's teaching them. But one of the messages of Christmas is that we are not alone. And uh, I I hope you really sense that today, that we are not alone. Uh, We're not just stuck with you and me and the things that we can see and and the things that we're navigating. Um, There's somebody else in this room. As we've gathered in his name, there's somebody else who knows, knows us better than we know ourselves, knows what the next moment has and the moment after that, and um, I hope that we live in light of Emmanuel this uh, Christmas and all that God has for us. He is near, and we are not alone. Luke chapter 1 today, we're going to look at verse 46, down through verse 55. Before we do that, just a couple of things of housekeeping note or announcement. Number one... Uh, Pastor Nate will probably remind us at the end, but if you're a church member, we do have a church family meeting tonight after church. Uh, It's our annual meeting part A as we prepare for next year and rejoice in what God has for us and anticipation should be here tonight if you would as a member. Uh, And then this week, our schedule. So we are now less than a week from Christmas morning. Uh, That would be a week from today exactly. And so a couple things next weekend. First of all, next Saturday evening, uh, we'll have our Christmas Eve service candlelight and all, and uh, we'll try not to drip wax too much all over, although we're going to replace the carpet, so maybe this year we'll really have fun uh, with our wax, waxing, eloquent, waxing, whatever, but to invite you to be here at uh, 6.30 uh, this coming Saturday evening. Um, that's a probably about a 45-minute to 50-minute service, and it uh, looks like we might get a little snow next weekend, so we'll see how all that plays out. So that'll be 6.30 till maybe just a few minutes before 7.30, and then you can head to whatever you have that evening. Invite folks to come. We've given you those little invite cards. If you need more of those, those are out at the tables as you leave today. And then next Sunday morning, we will have our Christmas morning service. And we're encouraging, Brother John is mentioning to the kids probably right now, this is for the kids, what I'm about to say. They are encouraged to wear PJs next week. Not you, but they are, okay? Um, So those of you with your onesies that you want to wear, just please spare us, okay? But... uh, just come for a warm service together, and we'll be looking at the next in our series here uh, at 1030. I'm not picking on anybody, but it's amazing to me how many of us say, keep Christ the center of Christmas, but we're not going to come to church on Christmas morning. I, I just, it, you do whatever God leads you to do, but I would strongly encourage you to uh, keep Christ at the center, and I think I could help you decide how to do that if you haven't figured that out yet. I hope you'll be here next Sunday at 1030. Last thing is this. We're just a couple weeks from the end of the year. As you can see, more of our ceiling has been done. And Lord willing, I don't know if we'll have all of it done, but we should have our lighting working, Lord willing, by next week. If Pastor Dave feels better, he's out sick this morning. He's kind of spearheading that with Brother Hackworth. But uh, we will be... Um, heading into the new year, ordering the carpet and some other things as it relates to the room. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've yet to give to our Amen Project, if you'd like to close out the year uh, with a final gift, uh, may help you tax-wise and otherwise, but encourage you to help. I just got a phone call this week from a man who's going to give, I think, a significant chunk toward the project early into the new year. And so help us with that, if you will. Again, it's not about 
new ceiling and lighting and carpet. It's, it's what happens in this room. And to the men that were with me that first Monday morning two weeks ago, I prayed in that north lobby and said, God, bless what we're going to do, not just for what it looks like, but who's going to meet you in this room and get to know you and grow in their relationship with you. And appreciate so many of you have given this year. Many of you have come and served and helped in different ways practically. Looking for what God has for us in the new year. All right, Luke chapter 1 today. Let's look, if you will, at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he, this God, hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty, I love this phrase, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And so we're looking at in this season of Advent these different emphases, if you will, of those who waited for the Messiah and were prepared for his coming, and specifically their utterances, what they said when they heard, it's now, it's here, he is here, and they processed that in worship and in prayer. And so today we'll look at this, the advent, the coming, that's what the word advent means, the coming of hope. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this season. Uh, Lord, probably the next seven days are one of my favorite weeks of the year, and I know for many in the room, it's, it's both a favorite, but maybe also a, a challenging week ahead for them as they process different burdens and challenges and needs. And Lord, I pray as we come now to this time of study of your word, that you would cause us to see that you have come near to us, not just to give us love as we studied last week, but number two, to give to us a fresh sense, a fresh dose of hope. Hope, Lord, that has been born anew and afresh through the work of Jesus, and Lord, our application of it, our receptivity to it, and I pray that you would uh, draw us closer to you, whatever that next step is in our walk with you. Purge out the despair, purge out the despondency, and in its place, Lord, give us a robust sense of fresh hope in you. Bless this study, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I was this past summer in uh, Michigan in July in a church that I served on staff at prior to being here uh, in Wayne County, and the pastor asked us to come and preach, and so we did. And I got to uh, catch up with some of those who either were not married or were married and didn't have children. There's a little girl named Cassidy uh, who is probably, I'd say, about five now that's a member of this church cute as a button. She, she's already picked out who she's going to marry, some other little boy in the church, and, and he, she introduced him as that, and just a cute little girl. Well, the other day, her mom uh, posted this picture, and uh, this, this, just, I, can, I can envision her doing this, um, this picture that she put under, she put this under her pillow, um, and her mom put this caption, Cassidy hid this little rolled up piece of paper under her pillow in hopes of tricking the tooth fairy into believing it was a tooth <laughs> and leaving her money. And, and her mom's response was, she, the tooth fairy, was not tricked, okay? Her hopes, 
uh, were dashed. Isn't that hilarious just to envision her trying to fashion this little piece of paper to look like a tooth to trick uh, the tooth fairy? Can I just say to you as we begin today, I want to be very direct with you this morning. The story of Christmas does not contain a tooth fairy, Santa-like hope. It is built on the God who always delivers. And if this morning we don't have hope, it's because we've lost touch of who God is. There's so much about this season, and I'm not preaching against Santa today or the tooth fairy, please understand me, but sometimes that thinking creeps into our view of God. Shame on us. May we be challenged today if we've lost hope when God has come so clear in such a distinctive manner. And his hope is fresh today. His hope is new today. His hope is more than available to you and me if we'll simply let it into our hearts and life. Now, look if you would, verse 49. And I want to just emphasize the tense of this verb here as we begin. Notice how Mary describes what God has promised to do. This woman who, as a young gal, was open, her heart was open, her life was open to hope uh, in God. Notice what she says in verse 49, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And so her hope was in a God, had, had, we don't know for sure, but I would guess at this point, because we're only a few verses removed from verse 35, where the explanation of this virgin conception would occur, she probably has yet to conceive, and yet she talks as if it's already happened. And may I say to you today that our hope will be in direct proportion this Christmas to how much we believe that what God has promised is as good as done. Everything that has yet to be done by our God that he's promised, I'm telling you, he's going to deliver on it. You will never regret living today with fresh hope, resilient hope and confidence that God will deliver on his promises. And, and we know the song, and maybe at times it, 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 it's wearisome to us, but the refrain, Mary, did you know? I don't know if Mary knew everything, but I'm telling you, she knew what God had promised her, and she was counting upon it uh, with all of her heart and all of her life. And so may we be willing to, in the present tense, derive fresh hope from what God has yet to deliver on in the future. Now, Mary's song here of praise has been referred to as Mary's Magnificent, um, a Latin word for magnify. Here, Mary is going to magnify the Lord. She's going to open her heart and life and share it with others, the hope that she has in God. In fact, we won't emphasize this in the rest of our study, but if you were to go through these verses we just read, it's he hath, he hath, he hath, he hath. Eight times she says those two words. He has. She had confidence that God would deliver on his promises. So the question today is this, in a day of not only tolerating, but justifying despondency, how do we open our lives and hearts to be ready to receive a fresh arrival of God's hope for us this Christmas? Let's talk about two aspects of his hope that we need to be open to, that if we'll open our hearts to his hope, these two things will be a part of us in our lives this year. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the intimacy uh, that we, f- <laughs> excuse me, that we find in Advent hope. Um, if you notice that we all laugh differently, um, there are some of you in this church, Pastor Dave's out sick today, when he laughs, I laugh no matter what else, I don't even know what he's laughing about. He just has a high-pitched laugh. It just cracks me up. 
Um, and maybe you know somebody that they're laughing. And some of us, you know, we snort, we can't breathe, I don't know, whatever we do. But have you ever had someone that they're coping mech? I'm talking when you're laughing, like to the core of who you are, they grab onto you. Any of you have somebody like this? And you're like, they just, they, they just, they're going to fall down if they don't grab onto you as they're laughing. It's like, and sometimes I've had folks, I don't even know who do that. And I, you know, I'm a bit of a germ person. And so just laugh, but go over there and laugh. Okay. And just back off. You ever had somebody get in your personal space? Can I tell you that our God, the hope that he offers to us is intended for us to be closer to him. God doesn't give you hope just so you can run off and do your own thing. I see a lot of Christians in our day, they want autonomously what God only gives us in Christian community. You want to go run with God's hope on your own. Sometimes I'm tempted to do the same. Hope is meant to draw us into the God who offers to us that hope. In fact, go back to verse 35. He says this in describing to Mary in response to her question, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? How in the world can a virgin have a child? It says, and the angel answered and said unto her, back in verse 35 of Luke 1, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Who in history had a more intimate moment with God than what's described in verse 35 that I don't even know how to describe to you what that even means? The hope that God was going to bring to Mary and through Mary uh, was meant to convey that God wants to be near us. God wants intimate fellowship with us. Let's talk about a couple things that Mary processes here in her song or her magnificent, her, her magnifying of God in this moment as it relates to intimacy. Number one, jot this down. Hope comes to us to intimately elevate our worship. Hope comes to us to intimately elevate our worship. And notice two things that it does to Mary that God intends for it to do again this Christmas for us. Look back at verse 46. She begins, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. The word soul that's found there has this idea, the vital force which animates the body or the seat of the emotions. Number one, jot this down, it is meant to elevate our emotion. God gives us hope to elevate our worship, our worship of him, first of all, from our hearts in emotional response to this God who has promised us hope. Um, Mary, in this brief passage in verse 46 to 55, she quotes from the Old Testament 18 times, either directly or alluding to them. And it exhibits not only a knowledge of the Old Testament, but also an intimate understanding and connection with God. God didn't have to introduce himself to Mary. Mary knew God. She already had relationship with God. There was an in sync, if you will, relationship between her and Jehovah. And so God comes and elevates her emotions and her feelings. Her soul magnifies the Lord. Um, when she says here, my soul doth magnify the Lord, she was not making God bigger than he was. She wasn't puffing him up. She was simply drawing attention to how big her God was. She praises him. She declares who he is and what he has done for her and for others. And so he, she worships him from her soul or her emotions. One of the things I'm concerned about in our day, and I, I see this in me. I don't know if you sense this in you or not 
is a lot of times God is ready to do something or God is even actively engaged in doing something. And listen to me, our hearts are so closed off to him that we can't meet him in that moment where he's moving in a powerful, tangibly, and even emotionally oriented way. One of the things I'm concerned about is this, that my heart is tender and open If God wants to do just something mundane today that's still miraculous like he did yesterday, that's great. But if he wants to do something fresh and new and significant, does my heart have the capacity to believe it's him? And to lean into that as we see Mary so readily. She didn't prepare for this moment five seconds before the angel. She was ready. Her heart was open. God came to this little gal and he began to introduce to her his will and her heart was receptive and open. And so may we allow him to elevate our emotions this Christmas in a way that draws us closer to him. I'm not talking about just getting stirred up. I'm talking about being drawn into closer heart-level relationship with our God. Can you feel God this morning? Can you sense him? Do you feel the pulsating prompts of his spirit in your heart, or is there a deadness in your soul? My soul, Mary said, magnifies the Lord. Can we lean into that a bit more during this season? All right, go down to verse 49. Come back to the interluding verse in just a moment. But verse 49, she says, For he that is mighty had done to me great things, and holy is his name. Number two, not only elevating emotion, elevating performance. She begins to sense that God is about to do something, and so she has a higher view, and she has a fresh belief that he that is mighty that doesn't leak his might, is about to do something in the present tense. Notice in verse 49 that all it took for Mary to experience the mighty one doing great things was to take him at his word. She just trusted him. She just believed what he had said. As a result, that qualified her to experience God doing something in her day. Hold your place there in Luke 1. Would you go to chapter 11? This was a curious connection I've never thought about before. But later in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 11, and in verse 27, somebody tries to praise Mary. And it's interesting Jesus' response to this little utterance, if you will, of a a lady who I'm sure was sincere in her response. And yet notice how he redirects it. Luke chapter 11. Hold your place there in chapter 1. Luke chapter 11 And if you would please, excuse me, look at verse 27, Luke chapter 11, verse 27, it came to pass as he spake these things, so he's teaching as as referenced earlier in the chapter, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Who is he referring to there? Mary, right? Notice Jesus' response to this sincere utterance, but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And so the blessing and the performance of God in Mary's life had nothing to do with her intrinsic aura or sainthood or whatever sometimes she's been characterized as. It just simply, she just believed what God said. And so we also can be qualified, if you will, to experience God's elevated performance in our life if we simply will take his word, believe it, and obey it as Mary so effectively models. All right, go back to chapter 1 in verse 49. Notice the end of the verse. He goes on to say, or she does, and holy is his name. 
Though others would question and slander how Mary was come to be of child, God here is clear and Mary clearly understands that what God is about to do is above reproach. It is a holy performance. There's nothing um, that is improper in this delivery of a child through a virgin's womb. It is a holy performance. It is a righteous interaction between God and man. In fact, remember in chapter 1 of Matthew when Joseph is trying to figure out what to do with now his betrothed wife and she's found to be of child. At the end of verse 20, God says through the angel, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the what? Holy Ghost. And so this is a, a holy performance. This is a pure performance of God in Mary's life. I don't know if you can think about different songs in Scripture. There are many of them. Um, you think of Miriam and Moses as they sing in Exodus 15 of what God did to the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Um, you think of the song that we just sang about here in our service this morning, the new song in Revelation. We sing this new song with the redeemed in eternity. But songs of praise, songs of lament, songs of doubt, songs of fulfillment, all these songs, all of those songs are leading to this song. This song that Mary is singing where God is delivering on what he has promised, he is performing what he has for so long been telling his people he would do, he has followed through. And I'm amazed in this season how many songs, I don't know how many Christmas songs we've all heard in the last seven days since we gathered last Sunday, but I would guess probably more than a few. This season is a season of songs. May I encourage you this morning that the song we need to sing is the song of a God who performs what he promises, a God who delivers on his decrees. And so may we trust him enough, may we sing to him, may we be moved emotionally, may our worship be elevated this Christmas. May I say to you today, our low ebbs emotionally in the present and low expectations about the future exposed where our hope is not really in God who is above, God, above all things and over all things. If we're down this morning, yeah, that's being human, but it also often is being disconnected from a God who always delivers. Um, maybe jot this down. I think this might be important for you. This is just kind of tongue-in-cheek, this statement. But here will be the admonition before we move on. Watch who you hitch your wagon of hope to. Watch who you hitch your wagon of hope to. And I'm telling you, if you hitch it to anything or anyone other than this Jesus who was born to die, be buried, and resurrected for the forgiveness of your sins, you will eventually leak that hope. Watch who you hitch your wagon of hope to. And make sure that it's connected to this Jesus who delivered not just in this day, in Mary's day, but wants to do so anew and afresh this morning. All right, go back to verse 47. She goes on to say, after she initiate, initially says, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Number two, hope comes to intimately humble our perspective. Hope comes to intimately humble our perspective. Um, Again, just zooming out for a second with the Gospel of Luke, who was the human audience? Who was the person that the Gospel of Luke was written to? Go back to verse 3 in this chapter of Luke, um, and you will notice there in Luke chapter number 3 that it says, Luke speaking here, 
It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent, what's the name? Theophilus, lover of God. Um, And so Luke here is writing to a specific man, and I think part of the the tone, if you read the book of Luke, is, is Luke, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to emphasize to Theophilus the value of humility, the value of submission. Luke chapter 11 talks about um, the man who smites his breast. says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And he goes down to his house justified. And there's story after story in the gospel of Luke of humility being recognized by the Savior and blessed and affirmed by God. And so this, it begins with this sense of humility on the part of Mary. Key thing to understand, two elements that are kind of juxtaposed or their position as opposites in Scripture over and over. Hope or pride. You cannot be proud, listen to me, and possess abiding, consuming, um, sustaining hope. Humility and hope go together. And a lot of our issues, brethren, this morning, and those that are processing Jesus and may not have personal relationship with him yet, the real issue has nothing to do with hope. It has everything to do with our pride. Because we think we can do it on our own. We can stockpile and we can plan for retirement and we can possess certain things physically with modern science and we are relying upon ourselves. And Mary has hope here because largely she exhibits a spirit of humility. And I just give you two things quickly she alludes to that humble her, that ought to humble us as we receive this fresh sense of hope this morning. Number one, notice there's a humbling sense of salvation. Did you notice that in verse 47? She rejoices in the God who is her what? Her Savior. Doesn't that push back a bit on much theology taught about Mary? She recognized Jesus. She recognized God as her personal Savior, meaning what? She was a sinner. She had a need for a Savior. And so Mary here labels this child and this God who would deliver this child as being her, her personal Savior. Um, we have a family in our church who has an inn where they, folks stay there and uh, they can reserve a night or two. And they had a night open this past weekend. And so we went, Heidi and I stayed there just on a whim, just kind of last minute Friday night. And uh, Heath uh, Studer, who mans that, he said, and when you get there, the Hallmark Channel will be on. And he delivered on that. So I walk in at whatever, six o'clock Friday night, and there it is, Hallmark. What a blessing, just a blessing. And then, it start, you remember, it started snowing. So, of course, I had the joy of watching a Hallmark movie Friday evening with snow falling, my wife and I, and uh, just a, a, a memorable evening, okay, uh, with the same predictable storyline and the same actor I've seen in probably 12 other of the same storyline. Um, do you ever notice that that life is not as perfect or controlled or predictable as that, um, that in real time and space, starting with our own, you know, relationship with our spouse um, and uh, just different variables that go with life. You know, one of the things I'm struck by with Mary is how normal the story is, how normal the context is where God's hope enters in. In fact, in verse 36, you notice uh, there it says that, that she goes to see Elizabeth. Now go down to verse 56. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. There, there's, 
That's just so normal, right? She went and saw her cousin, and then she went home. And she's about to have the hope of the world born in her life. You know what that does for me this morning? Yeah, it humbles me, but it also gives me great encouragement because I can go home today. I can go back to where I'm from. I can live where I live, and I can possess and and be consumed by and controlled by the hope that God offers to me. His hope comes to real people, comes to normal settings and context. And, And so we see that, this humbling relationship between Mary and the salvation of God. All right, verse 48, he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Number two, a humbling recognition. First, there's self-recognition at the beginning of verse 48. She calls herself a handmaiden. Dule is the word here, doulos, the Greek word for a slave, a female slave. She describes herself in that humble fashion. Uh, verse 48, the end of the verse, and many, and from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. She's not giving out blessings, she is on the receiving end of blessings. Uh, so we see again this humble posture of this dear lady Mary. Um, sometimes I think this morning our view of God is too small, and the reason that God is so small and our hope is not in Him as it should be is because we view ourselves too big. Our view of ourselves is too large. There's some in the room, as much as I love you, and you challenge me if this is me this morning, you think you have a corner on the theological market in some way. You think you've, you, I don't deal with some of the sins of the younger folks in the room. I've arrived, I've got, I've achieved. I, I used to be this and that, and I was the who's who in some area of our community. Can I encourage you this morning that shrinks, that hinders a God who is big and wants to prove himself anew and afresh in your life. And so you let go of self, recognize who you are, and receive into your life fully who God wants to be. Dio Moody, talking of humility being something that attracts God, his attention to our life, said this, God has two thrones, one in the highest heavens, the other in the lowest heart. A heart that just says, God... I'm yours. You show up, you do what you want. That's what we see Mary doing. And because of that, we have the gospel. We have access to God's salvation. This final thought, and we'll move to our second point this morning. Our lack of humility this morning shows where we have lost or never had our hope in God. Where are you this morning relying upon yourself in a way that continually leaks this hopeful preparation for the Christmas season. And then this question, you may want to jot this down, where are you too proud to put all your hope in God? If I ask you today, why do you have a bright view of the future, or why don't you? If the answer to that is anything less than your view of God, uh, that hope will leak, that hope will falter, it will miss out on all that God wants to do through us. Um, And and I mentioned verse 35, the idea of overshadowing. Just real quick, go down to verse 79. We'll talk about this later in our series. But the very end of this chapter, notice it says this, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Just to challenge you this morning, because you can live a hopeless existence if you want. That's your move. You have that prerogative, as do I. 
But there are also others that when God overshadows us with what he's trying to do in us and through us, there are others who are living in long shadows that need to sense and see that hope. Because it's not just for us, it's also for others around us. And so choose wisely this intimate connection with God offered, not just for your own benefit, but for those intimately connected to you. All right, number two, let's talk about secondly, the inclusion. And this is one of my favorite parts of the Advent story is the inclusion of God, of the nobodies and the less thans uh, through the redemptive story uh, of Scripture, the inclusion of Advent hope. I don't know if you noticed in the little video we showed a moment ago, but there's a little phrase in there, God came to this little girl, gave her the promise, and then there was this phrase, so that everyone could hope. So that everyone could hope. Because of Jesus, I can go to any of you in this room and say to you, you can't have hope today. I can walk out on this street and flag down the next car, the random person, and I can say to them, you can this morning have hope. How can I say that? Because of all the things they may be navigating that I'm not even aware of. I can because of Jesus. I can because of the gospel. It is inclusive. This hope is offered to all. One theologian said this, Christmas means not just hope for the world despite all of its unending problems, but hope for you and me despite our unending failures. It's available. It's available today for all of us, no matter how far far short we fall of God's glory. All right, let's talk about a couple things as it relates to this hopeful inclusion. Number one, hope comes to inclusively confront others' pride. Hope comes to inclusively confront others' pride. I mentioned we have our Christmas Eve service this coming Saturday evening at 6.30. I hope you'll make that a priority as a family. But I was reading the other day, a pastor put this little submission in Reader's Digest. This was a Christmas Eve service that he had recently been a part of and leading. And he said this. This is just verbatim what he submitted to the Reader's Digest. Just as I began my Christmas Eve service a few years ago, the electricity in the church failed. The ushers and I found some candles and placed them around the sanctuary. Then I re-entered the pulpit, shuffled my notes, and muttered, now where was I? All right, so this is the question. A tired little voice called out from the back, right near the end. That's where you were, okay? Right near the end. Um, do you, ever, do you ever feel like sometimes as we celebrate Christmas that the haters and the doubters and those that resist the message, do they ever distract you and discourage you and sometimes cause you to lose hope or to lose focus on the hope that God offers? Can I encourage you today that God's got that part of this thing called Christmas and celebrating it even despite those who do not, those who reject its message? He will confront, he will deal with those who resist him. And he knows two things he confronts. Look, first of all, in verse 51, he says this, He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. Number one, he confronts imagination. That imagination that's independent of his hope and his holy purpose in this present world. He will confront that. I love the fact, I don't know if this is exactly what's being referenced here, but he says he has showed strength with his arm singular. You ever had someone, you know what, I'll wrestle you, I'll fight you with one arm tied behind my back. God, God, with just one arm, with just one arm can deal with this world. 
in all of its rejection, in all of its resistance, in all of its hopelessness, God is more than able. Uh, If you would then look at verse 52, he goes on, or she does, he hath put the mighty, he hath put down the mighty from their seats. So he that is mighty alone can put down the mighty of this world. He which is mighty. And this God that we put our hope in is more than able to deal with those that resist him and often provide resistance to us. Number two, notice the end of verse 53. He says, and the rich he has sent empty away. Mary, as she rejoices in the Lord, says the rich he has sent empty away. Number two, confronting autonomy. So he confronts the imaginations of the proud. He also confronts their autonomy. And by that, I mean, they think they can do it on their own. They can, they can exist on their own. They can sustain themselves independently of God. Later in Luke chapter five, Christ says, I've come not to call um, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Later in uh, Mark's gospel, he talks about, I'm not come to heal those who are whole. I've come to heal those that are sick. Was he saying that those that thought they were whole actually were whole? No, he's just saying you're relying on yourself. If you think you're okay, I can't help you. And the same is true with the hope that God offers us today. One caveat to what I just said about the fact the hope that God offers is available to all. Going back to me flagging down a car on the road here, which I would not advise, especially this morning probably. But there's one category of person that I can offer hope to, and more importantly, God cannot. Those who are full of themselves. Only those who are full of themselves are the only ones outside of the purview or the availability of God's hope. And if you think you can do this on your own, God, through Jesus, because he loves us enough, will confront that pride. He will confront that self-sufficiency through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I was reading recently a book about, um, it's called The Taking of Paris. If you're a history buff, I would strongly encourage you to read it. But it's specifically about how the Nazis took Paris um, during World War II and they occupied France. And then the eventual... um, freedom that they were able to secure because of their efforts. And there was a little paragraph in that book that jumped out at me as I was thinking on this idea of hope this morning. It said this, no nation on earth, speaking in this present tense of World War II, is strong enough to defeat Adolf Hitler. Nazi Germany possesses the might, the manpower, and the tactical advantages to throw any invader back into the sea. Um, And so it was talking of how overwhelming their their superiority was. And then the author said this, a secular author, not a believer as far as I know. But as Paul wrote to the Romans, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And then he said this little just foreshadowing of the deliverance that would come. Thus only possessing a single kernel of hope, the resistance began to grow. And then he began to unpack what led to them having secret radios and sabotaging the Germans' communication lines and all things they did to eventually undermine and to hollow out and to sap the strength and power of the Nazi preeminence in their city and ultimately were delivered. You know, all it takes is a kernel of hope this morning, hope in a God who can take anything and anyone down. We just have to stay with our hope in him. We just have to stick with him long enough. We just got to keep our hope in God. No matter what we're facing, may we keep our hope in the Lord. A single kernel of hope, the resistance begins to grow. 
And so this morning, our fretting about the powerful and the proud in our world exposes where we have lost our hope in God. I don't know what you consume on a regular basis, but probably a little bit less about all the corruption and all of the whatever in the world at large, leadership included, and a little more focus on a God who rules in the affairs of men, who ultimately will right all wrong. That's where we get our hope back. That's where we grow and sustain it. And so our fretting and fuming about the powerful and corrupt in our world exposes where we have lost our hope in God, who is above them and will deal with them. All right, let's land today, if you will. Go to verse 50. Mary includes a few other items here on the positive note. So he includes those that need to be confronted, and he confronts their pride. Here now would be the positive side of the coin. Verse 50, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Number two, hope comes to inclusively meet others' needs. Hope comes to inclusively meet others' needs. Uh, any of you notice that um, the way we shop nowadays is making, like, trying to keep people in your house from knowing what you bought for them, like, total chaos? Any of you have that going like we do right now? Um, I joke with you about the wish list, our Amazon wish list, that all of our, we all have one Prime account and everything, to, it's over a million dollars now. Ours isn't, but somebody was joking about, we're very austere and, you know, very conservative financially, for the record. But they was talking about just how, and, and it's everybody sharing one account. So you buy a Christmas gift on Amazon, and the rest of the family has access to that, that, that list of things you bought. And I've been trying to figure out how do you, how do you hide that, or how do you at least have a sub-account to that account. Um, lady was talking, and so we had this happen this last week where I got an email that something I bought for the boys was sitting on our front porch, and they were going to get home before I did. So I'm texting Heidi, hey, just tell them not to look to the left as they go into the house or whatever, and it's just, it's chaos. Anyway, somebody was joking the other day about, uh, a lady said this, at this point I've ordered so much stuff, I don't even know what's happening anymore, all right? And she said this, if UPS shows up with a llama tomorrow, it is what it is, Okay. I don't know. Somebody ordered the llama, and so it's, it's a part of our Christmas festivities. It, it, do you ever feel like it's overwhelming to meet the needs of those around us and to meet the needs around us? Aren't you thankful that God takes full responsibility for that? He takes responsibility to fund it, to sustain it. I don't have to keep this church going. I don't have to keep my family going. I just have to keep my hope in God. He will take care of us. He'll take care of you and yours. And so there, there's a reliance upon God that we see Mary uh, exhibiting here. All right, two things about that. Number one, see, notice that she mentions meeting of needs. He's going to meet needs. And in verse 50, she talks about this, as we just read, that he would provide for those who are in need. He would sustain them, not just in one generation, but to every generation. Uh, if you go back to verse 48 that we read a moment ago, all generations shall call me blessed. This hope is for every generation. Um, and whether it's the teenager sitting in the back row on their phone this morning, and guys and gals, I don't, I don't know if you are or not, or the most senior saint in this room, God's hope is for every generation. But what I see are multiple generations, especially the younger generation, searching for hope in all the wrong places, right? And one of the reasons they're searching for hope in all the wrong places is because those that influence them aren't looking in the right places. Like we, we pretend like the next generation just dropped out of the sky. No, they're exhibiting the same priorities and pursuits and they're searching for hope 
just like we are. And so this God who meets needs, and specifically meets our needs for hope, may we look to him. Uh, An authorized reading said this just the other day, the next generation today is looking for an alternative to hype and to hate. They're looking for hope. If we're not careful, we're hyping and we're hating, and we're not pointing them to where they can find hope. All right, end of verse 52 She says, and exalted them of low degree. Beginning of verse 53, he had filled the hungry with good things. And so he exalts the lowly. He fills the hungry like no one else can do. And so this hope of Christmas is not just abstract. It is meeting real needs of real people. Is that activity incarnately evident in your life? Is it incarnately, incarnately evident in my life? God meeting real needs. All right, lastly, verse 54, he hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Lastly, meeting expectations, meeting needs, meeting expectations. And I think if we could segment these last two points into um, groups of people, the previous meeting of needs was a reference more to the Gentile audience. Verse 54 and 55 is specifically to the Jewish people that God's going to deliver on their expectation of the Messiah. Heidi, last winter, I think it was last winter or leading into winter, she fell I think maybe I shared this once, and she hit the front of her mouth on like LVT tile, like just concrete with that old school tile, and chipped up one of her two, uh, teeth pretty badly. And, uh, and she still says just that jarring sensation is like traumatic, okay? Can you feel that in your bones today? Just imagine just hitting the pavement, and your, your tooth being the first thing to make contact. Have you ever had the jarring experience of when your expectations meet reality? You know, you watch the Big Mac commercial and then you get it in the drive-thru and it's like, this is not what I saw on TV, okay? Or whatever the specific thing. Um, Expectations versus reality. Can I encourage us this morning that God always delivers on what he promises, listen to me, and exceeds our expectations. Whatever you're hoping in today that's connected to God will exceed whatever best case scenario in your mind and heart is. And that's not just the preacher saying that to make you feel good today. The scriptures are replete with that. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And so it's going to exceed your expectations. Hope in God because of that. He will meet our expectations. And so Mary praises God for this in these last couple of verses. She praises him for his favor upon Israel. She praises him for delivering on his promises to Abraham of the Messiah through David's uh, tribe of Judah that God fulfilled the promise that he had made to his people. One of the saddest things about our day, and I don't know how to say this nicely, but some of the most hopeless people are the people of God. Like God's promises, yeah, there are some given to the planet and to the man, mankind as a whole, but most of his promises have been given to his people. Why are we so negative? But why is our outlook so dim in the next generation? All they hear is the griping and complaining and gossiping and negativity and judginess. Where's the hope that rightfully is ours, not just to receive, but to steward and, and to grow and to manage until the object of our hope, it, hope comes for us? And so allow this hope 
to keep your sense of expectancy up. I heard someone say this just the other day, a man who teaches the word faithfully. He said this, no pa- the- Theology 101, no passage of Scripture directs Christians to prep for the Antichrist, but numerous passages instruct to await Christ's return. It's a real problem if your end times expectations are all about the Antichrist, that's fear, rather than about Jesus, that's hope. And we focus so much on the negative and maybe this is that and we're always focused on conspiratorial type emphasis. Where is the hope? Where's the focus upon Jesus who is to come? All right, let's end today in Luke 2. Would you go there for a moment? Verse 19. Luke chapter 2 and verse 19. Appreciate your kind attention today. I know our time is done. Luke chapter 2 verse 19. After all that happens at the beginning of this chapter that most of us read on Christmas morning and the angels sing and the shepherds show up. And notice this little verse tucked right in the middle of this narrative, verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I don't know that Mary knew everything, and to the question of the refrain of the psalm, Mary, did you know, there's much that she did not know, but I think she knew more than we often give her credit for, especially when we read the verses we just read carefully. Mary knew, Mary had confidence and hope in a God who would deliver, and can I say to you today, all she had was the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Spirit of the living God inside of us, and we have the local church. And all the other privileges afforded us as Americans in our day. We have no excuse when we stack up our lives and our access to Mary to not have hope this morning. Do we? Mary possessed hope. Her hope was in God. Her hope was in his word. And so may we choose today to have hope in the Lord. All right, I'll end with this statement. And this is a great, I think this is a good way to land this morning. Gentleman Bob Goff said this, every day we get to choose whether we give the microphone to hope or fear. The choice we make is the life that we lead. And if Mary had chosen to give the mic to fear, Luke 1 would read very differently. I'm not saying God would have not still done what he had promised to do, but Mary's part in it would have been drastically changed. And the same is true for us today. Who do we listen to? What do we listen to? Is it fear or is it hope? Give the mic, not just to hope, give it to God who is the source of hope. And let him speak anew and afresh into your life with his hope. Here's the question we'll pray. Will you choose to open your heart this morning to the coming hope of God that is intimate? He wants to be nearer to you than you can dream or imagine and inclusive. He's wanting to include more than you could ever fathom or desire yourself. It's offered to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.